Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church, North Adelaide. You can find more great things like this at citylight.church slash North Adelaide. Morning, everyone. So the uh, reading is um, all of Deuteronomy 6. Love the Lord your God. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you're crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy a long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. When the Lord your God brings you to the, into the land he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, to give to you a land with large flourishing cities, Uh, not built, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then, when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Fear the Lord your God, serve him only, and take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you. For the Lord your God, who is among you, is a jealous God, and his anger will burn against you, and he will destroy you from the face of the land. Do not test the Lord your God as you did at Massah. Be sure to keep the commands of the Lord your God and the stipulations and decrees he has given you. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight so that it may go well with you and you may go in and take over the good land that the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers, thrusting out all your enemies before you, as the Lord said. In the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees and laws the Lord our God has commanded you? Tell him, We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent miraculous signs and wonders, great and terrible, upon Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land that he promised on oath to our forefathers. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God, so that we might always prosper and be kept alive, as is the case today. 
And if we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. Thanks, Liz. Welcome to City Lake North Adelaide. My name is Andrew Tran. I'm one of the elder candidates here. I'm so glad to see you all here. Um, if you're new to this particular church, especially if you're new to faith, or if you're just exploring Christianity, welcome, welcome. Um, this is our sixth week in a sermon series that we're traveling through the book of Deuteronomy. We've titled it Now Choose Life. Um, and this time here, now we're going to spend together, we're going to unpack what the scriptures are saying. So if you have your Bibles open with you, um, keep them open to Deuteronomy 6. Um, before, before we get into the text today, I want you to discuss amongst yourselves for the next 66 and a half seconds. Can you, can you tell someone to love someone? Can you tell someone to love someone? Talk amongst yourselves, we'll be back in a minute or so. Cool, we'll wrap up in five, four, three, two, one. Any last reservations? Great. Okay, we're gonna do a quick poll. Uh, don't give me the why, I just wanna see. Um, can you tell someone to love someone? A yes? A few yes? Okay, cool. Any no's? Any no's? Any like, oh, I put my hand up for yes because I feel like that's a, that's a Christian response, but I'm not actually quite sure. That's okay if you are, like, like that. It's, a, it's a safe space, right? Um, this can be, for some of us, a difficult answer, a quick question to answer if we're really, really honest with ourselves. Uh, we know what the, the right Christian answer is, but sometimes it's like, do I, do I feel like I wanna, I wanna really, like that that's my actual real response? Um, on one hand, it can seem a little bit forced, don't you think? Um, is Love not, is, if, if is it really love, if it's not really like freely given? Um, we kind of think of things like Stockholm Syndrome where people are like essentially fall in love with their captors, but that's just, that's, that's some sort of weird psychology thing that happens there, but that's like, that's like a force to love kind of deal, right? Um, if you don't know, I've been married for like 12 weeks and when I started dating Delphine, I couldn't tell her that the very start to just love me. Um, and as my wife right now, I don't think I can actually say that, nor should I ever say that, I think. I think that's a bit narcissistic to say, you should love me a bit more, right? Um, and if that's a very bad idea, don't do it, please don't. Um, on the other hand though, in the Bible, there are many commands to love, to love the sojourner, to love the outcast, to love the widow, to love the orphan, and even commands to love your enemy. As you may have heard from our reading today, this is, this is a very important passage. It's possibly the most central theme of Deuteronomy. We found it, found it in verses four and five. It says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. If you're familiar with the Bible, you might have heard this before. Jesus quotes it several times in the New Testament and even states it as the most important, the greatest commandment. But for some of us, whether you're Christian or not, might feel a little bit uneasy, we might feel a little bit uneasy with this idea that to love the Lord, this, that's a command. To love the Lord, that's a demand. Some translations say, you shall love the Lord. You might be thinking, Is love, isn't love meant to be natural? How do you demand it? How can you command it? If you're commanding it, is it really loving? 
It reminds me, when I say that, it reminds me a little bit of this particular garden screen. Anyone know who this is? Got a few takers at the back. Nicole? Loki, Loki. Loki of Asgard from the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the MCU, the magic-wielding, shape-shifting god of mischief. And although he is a villain, I think he's one of the greatest characters in the MCU personally. If you haven't seen Loki, the Disney Plus TV series, I would strongly recommend. It's a great story that throws around like, these theological and philosophical questions about agency and predetermination and all that kind of stuff. But that's aside the point. The point is, you have here a character. You have here a character who is burdened with glorious purpose, who plays for power and control and at one point desired to rule the earth. Why? Because he wanted to be loved, so that he would be loved. That's why in the first Avengers film, he invades the earth so that people would kneel down before him and adore him. He's a bit of a narcissist. And while watching the, the Marvel films, especially the first Avengers film, I remember seeing when he, when, he, when he lights up that town square in Germany and he demands people to kneel before him, I couldn't, ima- I couldn't help but think, is this what our culture think what God is like? Is this how they see God? When, they, when God says he commands us to love him? But my aim today, brothers and sisters, is to, as we read and unpack Deuteronomy 6, I want to show you that this command is not some sort of ego-stroking command for God, but unlike Loki's demand for people to kneel before him, this command is actually joy-centric and life-giving. And my hope and prayer today is that we leave, as we leave this place this morning, that this command will shape every aspect of our lives. So if you will, pray with me and let's get into the word together. Um, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you through, we thank you for your scriptures written down for us over 2,000 years ago. We we thank you that you you have revealed the pathway to life through them. Help us, Lord Father, by your spirit to see you in your word this morning. Maybe not be just simply hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Mold us and shape us as we encounter you this morning, the one true living God. Lord, I pray for myself this morning as that you increase and I decrease and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. And we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Now, it's easy to see this command as demanding and forceful, but let's just for a second, just look at the context at which this, um, this command has been given. If you've been following along in our series in Deuteronomy, uh, you may remember that Deuteronomy is a series of sermons given by Moses to the God's people, the Israelites, before they were gonna go into the promised land. Previously, God's people had spent about 40 years wandering the desert after they had been rescued from Egypt out of slavery and oppression. And they, but the reason they spent 40 years wandering around the desert was because of their rebellion towards God. And now that the first generation had died off, the second generation were now going to enter. But the thing is, the land they were about to enter was full of other people groups who had a pantheon of gods. They worshiped gods of fertility and nature and war. And if you know anything about the Israelites in the wilderness, 
They were pretty prone to worshipping things that weren't the Lord Yahweh. Throughout Deuteronomy, you can see that Moses was instructing them essentially not to follow the footsteps of their fathers. In the passage previous to this, Moses had just given, he just laid out the Ten Commandments. He had given them the commandments and, um, and now he's summing the Ten Commandments up with the greatest commandment. But before he does that, Moses both cautions and reminds them of the consequences of obedience. It says it in verse 3, Hear Israel and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Moses wanted to remind them of the gift that God had promised to give to them. He wanted to remind the Israelites that God had promised life and a land of abundance. But Moses also wanted to warn them because like their parents, he knew it was really easy for them to just drift towards other gods in the bad times and even in the good times. And it's with this knowledge that Moses gives them the greatest commandment, aka also known as the Shema. We, hear, we read this earlier, I'll read it again though, verse four and five. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. It seems like a pretty easy, simple command, right? Pretty simple. But there's a reason why this is the greatest command. It is the weightiest of commands because it essentially is the essence of what it means to be a part of God's family. It starts off with the word here. Now, in Hebrew, the word here is translated, it comes from the word shema. If it means, yes, it does mean sound waves entering your ear holes, but the context of this, uh, of, of this passage means, it, it means much more than just that. You can hear something or listen to something, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you take it on. It doesn't mean that you've, necess- you've heard it, but you haven't acknowledged it. You know what I'm talking about? Shema can also mean to hear and acknowledge, but the context of this passage doesn't simply mean that either. When you acknowledge something, that then raises the question, what are you acknowledging and what are you going to do about it? What are you acknowledging and what are you going to do about it? So Shema actually in Hebrew, it means to hear and then being driven into action. Listening and action go hand in hand, the, same, the, the two sides of the same coin. So what, the, what are the Israelites and listening to and actioning on? That the Lord is their God. The Lord is one. Now this is not a, simply a statement of the Trinitarian nature of God, although this is, that is, it is true that God exists as three persons in one, but that's, that's not the point here. Rather, the point Moses is trying to make that is that there is only one God and that this one God was theirs and that they belong to him. This is really, really important, especially when, they were, when you consider they were going into a foreign land with the pantheon of gods. 
There was no need to chase other gods because they already belonged to the one true living God. Now, if you were listening to Moses preach this at the time, you would have heard, listen up, boys and girls. You belong to this Yahweh God. You belong to this one true living God. Yes, that one that lifted you out of oppression and of slavery. And yes, this one that's about to give you all this blessing through this abundant promised land. You belong to this God. This command I'm actually gonna give you right now is in light of this fact, this reality. And if you heard and re-understood that, what that meant, that could only mean one response for you. It could only really mean one response. Hence the actual doing part of the Shema in verse five. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Loving God is not some sort of just emotive feeling that you just feel here. But like the word Shema, the, the command to love is a, it starts with a genuine affection that overflows into action. This kind, of love to, this kind of love is the same kind of love that God has towards his people. It's a genuine affection for them that drove him to free them from captivity and lead them into the promised land. For the Israelites, this command to love God was not born out of duty or ritual, but was born out of God's love for them. And this love was to be expressed with all of one's heart, soul, and strength. Now, as much as I am thankful we have the, the, the Bible in English, um, English doesn't really fully grasp the totality of what's actually been said here when it says heart, soul, and strength. When we read the word heart, we think of the words like emotion and whatnot. But in, the, in Hebrew, there is no distinction between the heart and the mind. They're the same thing. The heart is where you do your thinking and what you feel. It's the, it's, the, it's the center of your emotions. And as much as we like to see the soul is like a spiritual essence, that's actually more Greco-Roman thinking, but in Hebrew, this word is actually translated as the whole physical life, the entire physical living being. And the word strength here doesn't relate to just physical strength, but in Hebrew, it's actually referring to the intensity or the degree of which you do something. So when Moses is giving the Israelites the command to love the Lord with all their heart, soul, and strength, he means you gotta love the Lord with everything you got. Everything, your thoughts, your emotions, your hands, your feet, your words, your actions, to the absolute utmost of your ability. On a commentary that I read, it says this, God's love and his covenant demands were to be the central and absorbing interest of a man's whole life. Moses tells them to love God and turn it up to the 11 and then some. This command was to, be, it was, so, was to be so important for the nation of Israel that Moses commanded that everyone was to live it out all of the time. Hence, verses seven and nine says this. Impress them on your children. Talk, them, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them to your foreheads. Who walks around with that around the foreheads when you think about it? Write them on your door frames, on your houses, and on your gates. For the Israelites, this was to be all-encompassing. Loving God was absolutely all-encompassing, but that was only because of the intense love that 
God for his, for his people. That's the only reason why it's like that, because of his great love for his people. But Moses also knew how easy it was for the Israelites to forget the Lord Yahweh. And so he reiterates to them not to forget about God, not to forget about him, all the incredibly gracious things that he had done for them that they, that they did not deserve. Verses 10 and 12 read this. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large flourishing cities that you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of things that you did not provide, wells that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant, then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful to that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Moses reminds them of their rescue from slavery and deliverance to the promised land. He reminds them of the blessing God has promised to them that they did not work for. He reminds them of the sustenance that God provides for them, but even, not just the sustenance, but even the pleasures. Moses reminds them, you, get, you guys are literally going from rags to riches here. So don't you forget it. Don't you forget the one who made it all possible, the one who graciously gave it to you all, gave it all to you. Now, I just want to take a break from Moses' sermon for a sec. And I want to look at what Jesus had to say about the, the greatest commandment. And, we, and we've covered a little bit of this um, in our previous kind of uh, messages throughout Deuteronomy. Um, I'll read up Mark 12, 29 to 31. The context here is Jesus is uh, talking to, he's addressing the teachers of the law, and he says this. And the most important one, the most important commandment, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord of God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And importantly, as just, as, just as importantly, the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And Jesus actually affirms the Shema, not just for the Jews of the time, but for all of God's people and all for all who would follow him. And he makes it crystal clear what this entails. We've covered previously that loving God isn't purely about how we just relate to him. It's no less than that, but Jesus, like Jesus says it in the second command. It means that that love is to overflow to other people. That first command overflows into the second command. To love God with all your heart, mind, and soul and strength, it's just not about you and God, but it's about loving others as an expression of that. But if you were to ask people on the street what they thought about Christians and how they love people, I'm not sure if we get a good rep. I don't know if we got a good rep about that, right? We know we show our love for God through how we love others, but if we're really honest with ourselves, there's probably times we don't do that really well. I'm, I'm not trying to heal, heap guilt and shame onto us. I just want us to, to just check ourselves for a sec. I'm like, confession time for me. I don't love God very well with my heart, with all my soul and all my strength when, you know, I treat my work colleague poorly because they push me behind time or when I lose my cool with my wife when she accidentally makes a mistake. I don't love God well when I look condescendingly down at someone who has a different political opinion than me. I don't, I don't love very God, I don't love God well when I quote, unquote, love like that. You know what I mean? 
And I don't know about you, but maybe the Holy Spirit is maybe nudging you a little bit something right now, like about how you've loved God. Because the way we treat people reveals something about how, we, how much we remember, or dare I say, how much we've potentially forgotten about God. It's a bit sobering, but it's, it's the reality, right? Like the Israelites, we too have been set free from slavery, from slavery, but from sin. We've been brought out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of glorious light. We might not have a physical land promised to us in the here and now, but in Christ Jesus, we have been promised a new creation. And although the promises in Deuteronomy can't be simply transferred to us, we can say that we are just like the Israelites, can we not? I don't know, we like to think, you know, Israelites, how dumb are they? How dumb was that? That's so dumb. Why would they do that? And we, but we think we're smarter, but honestly, we're not immune to the good things of this world becoming distractions. We're so incredibly blessed here in Australia, right? We're so easy to forget about God. We have all this good food and drink. We have upwards mobility to travel when COVID, pending COVID, of course. We have so much entertainment. We have like Netflix, Apple TV, Stan, Disney Plus, Binge, Amazon Prime K. The list goes on. And on top, of, on top of it, we are so wealthy. If you Google, if you, just Google this when you get home. If you Google how rich am I, there's a, a calculator that puts you in terms of, it, that puts you, um, it gives you a percentile of how, how essentially rich you are compared to the rest of the world. If you earn more than, no, if you earn more than 30K Australian dollars post-tax, you actually are richer than 92% of the world. Yeah, I'm not saying that blessings aren't bad. I'm not saying that materials aren't, things aren't bad. But my goodness, if we look at how affluent they are, tell me that us Christians in the West aren't easily tempted to forget about God. When you look at how crazy, in the, uh, how crazy rich we are, tell me that us Christians in the West, that we're not easily tempted to just forget about what God ultimately did for us. Because our remembrance of God, aka our love for God, shows up in how we, re- how we love people. We're really prone to wander. And so were the Israelites. And, but that's why Moses continues to exhort them the way he does in verse 13 onwards. I'll read from 13 to 19. It says this. Fear the Lord your God. Serve him only and take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you. For the Lord your God is among you is a jealous God and, is, and his anger will burn against you and he will, destroy you from the, from face, he will destroy you from the face of the land. Do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massa. Be sure to keep the commands of the Lord your God and the stipulations and decrees he has given you. Do not do what is right and, do what is right and good in the Lord's sight so that it may go well with you and you may go in and take over the good land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors, thrusting out all your enemies before you, said the Lord. Moses is exhorting God's people like this because why? Because loving God doesn't look like chasing other gods. To us, this seems blindly obvious. Duh, loving God, like, of course, there's only, if, if you love God, just, of course you wouldn't want to chase other, other gods. But he gives us this for a reason because we are prone to wonder. And if the people were going to love God with all their heart, their soul, and their strength, they need to remember that the God that they belong to 
was with them. Look at verse three. Look at verse. Look if you look at verse thirteen, it might be you might be wondering why why would he instruct them to take oaths in the Lord's name? Well, if God's people took oaths in the Lord's name, they would be conscious that God was among them, and they'd be more likely to remember Him and less likely to forsake Him. Moses warns of the jealousy of God if they start to worship other gods. I mean, like, that's, that's pretty obvious. Like, if God was right there, how, how disrespected would you feel, how God, how God would feel, if he, knowing that he rescued them and that all of a sudden they just attribute their wealth and their, their, their blessings to something else that's not him? What do these false gods ever do for the, for, for the Israelites? These, and the thing, the thing that makes it worse is that these false gods simply do not compare to the Lord Yahweh. Moses also reminds them of their parents not trusting God like they did at Massa because at Massa what happened was they accused God for not being with them despite literally the chapter before that God gives them rains on manna like manna and quail. That's it. That's mad disrespect to say to God like you don't love me, you don't love me, you don't provide for me, you're not here with me and yet he's providing them along, some, all along the way. And if the Israelites were going to take over the, prom- take over the promised land, the one thing they, need, they simply needed to remember was that God was with them. God had provided and provided and provided. God has like, had a great track record with his people and he was proven to be faithful. He was with them every step of the way. And all the Israelites needed to remember was, hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. And I would argue that's the same with us today. We might not live in a society with a pantheon of spiritual gods. We might not worship Baal or engage in New Age spirituality or witchcraft. But the gods of our time can be a bit more subtle, a bit more subversive. But since we are living in a fallen world, we, we are prone to forgetting about God's track record and his promises. For the Christian, the false God is anything that takes essentially the top place in our heart that isn't God himself. And yes, I will admit, they sometimes look really alluring and exciting and enticing. We obviously have vices like excessive alcohol, drugs, and pornography, but I think for us at North Adelaide, I wonder if it's not more respectable gods that we're prone to. Like the God of acceptance, seeing now need to perform or put up a false image of ourselves. Or maybe it's the God of emotional, like the God of emotional gratification, seen in like, especially for some of us single people who will just have, if we feel like we have this untamable desire for a partner? Or we have this, or, we, or maybe it's the God of family, you know, where we elevate our spouse or our family at all costs. Or maybe it's the God of autonomy, the, the God where we, we, it's seen and our death-like grip hold on, you know, we're fighting over things like fighting for our rights, quote, unquote, or I just want to do what I want to do. Or maybe it's the God of self-exaltation, where we choose what, to do whatever makes us first feel happy and we think we know better than God does. 
Interesting the language in the Bible that the, that the, that interesting language that the Bible has around the covenant is similar to marriage. Um, like it, or, the paradigms just don't, stop, don't just stop at the love level. In a marriage, it's actually easier, much easier to cheat on your, on your spouse if you just forget that they're around. <laughs> it might feel alluring, it might feel enticing and exciting, but that excitement never ends well. And in the same way, for Israel to cheat on God with other gods, it'd be much easier for them if they just forgot if he was there, if he was with them. And I would kind of argue that maybe that's us and the, the, as, the, as the church in Christ. As Christians, we, as we wait for the promised new creation and the return of Jesus, we must remember that God is with us. Not simply that he's just with us, but he's given the spirit to live within us. He's actually within us. The reason why we are to love God with all our heart, soul, and strength is because it's actually good for us. When we do, God is actually saving us from ourselves. He's saving us from the lie that these false gods can deliver. No matter how enticing or exciting they may seem on the surface. And when we do remember who God is and that he's with us, our ensuing love for him will drive us to kill those idols in our heart and that it will go well with us. Not only that, but we must remember what he has also done for us. It means Moses actually does this at the end of the passage, uh, verses 20 to 25. It says this, in the future when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws when the Lord has given us, the Lord our God has commanded you? Tell him, we, no, tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders, great and terrible, on Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land he promised to on oath to our ancestors. The Lord commanded us to obey these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive as is the case today. And if we are, and if we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. Simply put, Moses was instructing them to remind themselves in the future of what God has done in the past. He's reminding themselves, he was telling them to remind themselves in the future of what God has done in the past for them. When they remember who God is and what he has done for them, it builds up motivation to follow him and his ways and to love him with all they have. This builds the capacity for them to love God with all their heart, their soul, and their strength. God already wanted the best for his people. They were already his. And following this instruction to love God with all their heart, soul, and strength actually showed that God belonged to them. And I think that's similar with us. We've got to remind ourselves what God has done for us. We, I'm not, we can know, well, a lot of us have been in, Christ, in church for ages and we know the gospel. We know it intellectually, but does it sink into our bones? When we remind ourselves of how far we were from God, 
And then we remind ourselves of the extreme measures that God took to, to reconcile us to him by giving up his only, one and only son, giving up the prince of peace for a pauper like me. When we remind ourselves of this incredible gift of love and grace that we do not deserve, how can that not drive us to love our God with all we have? Oftentimes in sermons, people like there's always the application kind of part, and the thing like, but I've always been told, what's the take-home message, Trent? What, what do I do with this? What do I do with this now? Now, I think it's it's easy for us to go home out of here and think about the Shema and say like, well, how we how we're going with it? How we how we're doing the Shema? How we we're going okay with this? Are we? Am I loving God with all my heart, soul, and strength? And I think. That's a good symptom checker. I think that there's nothing wrong with asking that question. Um, but like a good clinician, symptoms only reveal that there's a problem underneath, right? I'm gonna digress for a second here, um, but hopefully you see where I'm going with this. I work as a physio, and I'm constantly asked, especially for new clients, oh, Andrew, can you, just, can you just give me a massage? Can you, can you just massage me, man? Um, now, I do, Full disclosure, I do ma- kind of massage people. I'm not a masseuse. Don't, please don't call me a masseuse. That hurts my pride too much. <laughs> but really, I just, I, if, if I'm honest with you, I just hurt people for a living, right? So um, that's not to say I'm not good at massage. Like, I think I'm pretty good at it personally, but Delphine disagrees, but that's neither here nor there. Um, if you, let's say you come into my clinic and you come over with a neck issue. Um, I'm interested, yes, in reducing your pain and helping you move your neck a little bit. But my job ultimately is to find out the root of your problem. Is it the sitting position that you're at at work, or is it poor ergonomics, is it chronic adaptations, is it physical deconditioning, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And yes, I can work the symptom, I can loosen you up and make you feel kind of nice and good, but I'm not interested in fixing the symptom. Rather, I want to address the root of the problem because if you just address the symptom, it just keeps coming back. I mean, I'm happy to take your money, but like, I know that you, want, you don't want to be seeing me all the time. <laughs> You're just asking for pain to see the physio all the time, right? And so similarly, with the Christian life, you can walk away from here today, and you can ask yourself, how well am I loving God? But I think you just would be just treating the symptom. It could lead you down the path of, oh, I just have to try harder. I just gotta love God harder, right? But I think that's the wrong ultimate question to be asking. Because in reality, there's no way, there's no, there's, you have no ability to do that all the time to the utmost of your ability. It's impossible because we could always, quote unquote, oh, I can always do better. We've always been there before, right? I can always love God better. I can always read my Bible more. I can always pray more. Those things are good things. Don't get me wrong. But we mess up this command to love God all the time. And even worse, if we base our standing with God on this, it is absolutely devastating to our relationship with God. Rather, the ultimate thing I want to invite you to today if you, if you leave here today, and this is, this, this is one thing you, you take home, I just want you to invite you to this, is to simply look at Jesus. Simply look at him. 
I started today's talk by asking whether or not you can tell someone you could love them, to, to tell someone to love them. But we see here, and we see here that God commands us to love him with everything we have, right? But the Shema doesn't start with love your God. What does it start with? Hear. It starts with hearing. It starts with hearing God first. Hearing of who he is and what he's done for you. God's commandment for us to love him is the, is the proper response to the love that has been shown to us. And we've seen that loving God is actually good for us. But it only, only comes after the fact that we've basked in the person that is Jesus Christ. We love him. We love because he loved us first, right? So my question for you today is, have you seen Jesus for all he's worth? Have you really met him in the Bible? The one who got off the throne, who rescued us from slavery to sin and death, and exchanged his place before God, he exchanged that place, his place, with yours. Have you met that kind of love before? Whether you're, not, whether you're a Christian or not, or you're not even sure, I invite you, come, hear, and, and listen to the love and supremacy of Jesus. See, like North Adelaide, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Let's pray and give thanks. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your son. We thank you for the incredible gift of love that you have given us through him. You are faithful, you are gracious, you are merciful, you are generous. Help us to look at you, help us look at Jesus. By looking at Jesus, we, get to, we, we see who you really are. Help us to love you well. Lord, we are so prone to wander. We're so prone to straying from you. Father, I pray that you stir our heart's desire for you. Lord, help us to never lose sight of the cross and what that means for us. The eternal value that we have been given because you died for us and you died in our place. Lord, as we leave here today, help us to know that you are God. There is no one like you, that you are ours and we are yours. Help us to love you with all we have. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church, North Adelaide. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church or to donate to the work of City Light Church North Adelaide, visit us at citylight.church slash North Adelaide.